0: underground out loud
1: you're listening to the podcast project Episode
2: 11. Greetings once again, children. It is I, Daniel, son of Christian, a man who is mad but north by northwest, happy to report like a prognosticating groundhog that spring is nigh, eminently lifting its bright face here in the States, and I'm pleased as punch to be bringing you quite the lovely offering from Cold Fusion and the solemn hope that the warmth of this month's spotlight will be of some small aid in bringing the Season of Renewal to fruition. First, allow me to introduce the roster of Team Awesome Force. Solid as a brick shithouse and handsome as a classic 1955 Rolls-Royce Phantom, we've got Eamon Soze, who's going to tell us about an annual DU writing event of epic proportions. Next in the lineup, his gypsy heart could crush this two-bit town, our man Ethan. My co-host for this month's edition of the Risqué Repartee, we have aptly named Risky Quizness. And finally, the whirling dervish of the deep, a lady without fingers and a lot of pies, Missy Demeanor, taking a break from her many endeavors to join us in poetic podcasting. We've also a brand new segment for you this month, which she's going to tell you all about shortly. We've got readings from Poetic Mind and BC Poet. There's basically just a whole hell of a lot of great stuff in store for you folks. So sit back and perk up your listening ears. And Ethan, what have you got for the gallery today?
3: We will be heading deep in the valleys for another round of Risky Quizness, where our reigning champion, Missy Demina, will be taking on our very own red-headed Welsh lady, that is Magdalena, in this round of Risky Quizness. Over to you, Missy.
1: (laughs) Well, today I'm going to be talking to prolific DU member, Absolute Warrior and all-round nice guy, Snugglebuck. And I'm looking forward to sharing what he had to say when I sat down to talk to him in amongst all the cold weather earlier in the month. But firstly, we have our brand new feature here on the PoetCast Project. We listened to some of your feedback, some of it constructive, some of it just downright weird. And we've put together a little chat about poetry, both famous and on the DU, that we're hoping people will get involved with in the future because guests are always welcome. If you'd like to keep up to date with our musings, please check out our newly formed Twitter account where you can follow us at Poetcast Project. So here we are with our very first recording of Strong Language, and knowing us, there will probably be some here next on the Poetcast Project. Strong
0: Language
1: Hello, and welcome to a brand new segment of the podcast. We've been listening to your feedback over the last few months about getting more discussion on the show. And behind the scenes, we came up with this strong language, which we are hoping to invite all members of the DU on to so that they can discuss a poem with us as well. So what happens in this segment? Each month will be a different theme for discussion. And if you have any ideas for themes, please do not hesitate to suggest them. Uh, Each person on the panel gets to choose a poem that fits that theme and we talk about it. It really is as simple as that. This month's theme was lovingly chosen by the vast kaleidoscope of ideas that is our very own Daniel. And that theme is the March Hare. Um, so what were people's first impressions on hearing this theme? Because to be honest, once I started thinking about it, I realized there was many layers to this.
2: Well, uh, our theme, as previously established by the pagan prodigy, is the March Hare, a figure of crackling, hyperbolic and humorous insanity, uh, brought to us by the Wondrous Pen of Lewis Carroll. And uh, I wonder right off the bat if there's any correlation in the sports moniker of March Madness, but it's probably just coincidence uh march also connotes the approach of spring the continual renewal of seasons so everything is basically moving in unerring circuits uh and one of my poems i said of the cycle of seasons uh i marvel at the silence of the world engines and uh, i'm curious to explore our collective ruminations on the theme and uh whatever poems we chose hmm yeah. isa what did you think
3: um i kind of thought along the same lines as you that you know i did think of like lewis carroll as Wonderland, the Jabba Wookie, mm. and sort of, you know, and and, you know, all sort of, like, running things on sort of, like, levels of madness and and sort of, like, like a twist of, like, light and dark as well. But, you know, it, it's it appears in, like, such a light way. So there's kind of... I just think of a lot of twists when I think of, like, March hair. Because cool. it can be so colourful, but it can also be so... Finally
2: mad, I suppose. It's kind of like a polarized yin yang kind of thing. Yeah. Huh, that's cool.
1: Well, I just got excited if I'm honest, because I'm a big day pagan, so I thought the March hair was like, yes, (laughs) opportunity (laughs) to talk about fertility. Um, yeah. (laughs) So thanks for that guys. Without further delay, Daniel, I was wondering if you could be so kind as to tell us a little about the poem that you've chosen today.
2: Okay, should I read it for you first? That would be lovely. Okay, bring it up on my phone. I chose Mad Girl's Love Song by Sylvia Plath. I think most people, if they were thinking of madness and poetry, would go right to Plath. Uh, you know, especially how she dropped out of the world. Mm-hmm. So here's how her poem goes. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I lift my lids and all is born again. I think I made you up inside my head. The stars go waltzing out in blue and red, and arbitrary blackness gallops in. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I dream that you bewitched me into bed, and sung me moonstruck, kissed me quite insane. I think I made you up inside my head. God topples from the sky, hellfires fade, exit Seraphim and Satan's men. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I fancied you'd return the way you said, but I grow old and I forget your name. I think I made you up inside my head. I should have loved a thunderbird instead. At least when spring comes, they roar back again. I shut my eyes and all the world drops dead. I think I made you up inside my head. So what
1: was it about this poem that um, that made you choose it for the theme?
2: Well, uh, I, I haven't read a whole lot of Plath. And uh, so I Googled Madness and Plath, and it was the first thing that came up, honestly. But I really liked it right off the bat, so I didn't feel I needed to move on from there. And uh, if I were personally critiquing the author, and like in the uh, Café Critique group, I would tell her not to go so heavy on the refrain. But she's the famous poet, and I'm not, so I do not have the, uh, the right to critique. But uh, I don't know. It's some... Um, it's a beautiful piece. I mean, uh, from the opening stanza, the author gives us this kind of solipsistic uh, point of view. All the world vanishes from existence when she goes in the darkness behind her eyelids. Uh, there's this cognizance of the general madness of this perspective in her rendering, which also reminds me of Carol. But also the very real and personal like sanity of it, of the solace of self, uh, where she talks about God toppling from the sky, hellfire fading. It speaks to me about all that she's been taught is real. She's been taught is right and right and wrong. Uh, she's been taught to fear with its harsh external rigidity. It's something that she escapes when she goes inside herself. And uh, the closing stanza holds a sense of personal loss, romantic relationship probably, you know, from the way it builds to it. And uh, there's the age old question, is it better to have loved and lost? or never loved at all. I think anyone who's arrived at a mature point of catharsis would agree it's better to experience life at its fullest. With all its peaks and valleys of joy and agony, than to lead a rather banal and colorless existence. And still, each contemplation here, so each contemplation here, is so very uh, relatable. I think it's something every one of us needs that space inside that's inviolate. We can go into our intimate thoughts, be alone with our loss, come to terms with everything the world brings to us. That's what I've got.
1: (laughs) So I mean, like, how did it make you feel personally?
2: I connected with that sense of, uh, sort of musing on, uh, on your loss and looking back across a timeline. I, I do that a lot in my own writing. I, I tend to write about things well after they occur and to sort of, uh, cathartically expel and, and put things in a frame. And, uh, writing is, is really a very excellent medium for that. Although, you know, I think any artistic medium brings that across though. But, uh, but when you write something out, you, when you color it in with words, it's uh you I always I always call it a keen linear razor. You just cut your way down the page, creating the scene. And uh, I feel like the author uh, with her with her refrains, it's it's uh a little more uh, sing song and uh, a little uh, more like emotionally nuanced than like my personal like I tend to go with like harder philosophical themes but it was it was really beautiful right and uh, i would say they touched me that's why when i read it i decided to go with it
1: Hmm. i always call this poem because i must admit it's one of my favorite plath poems but um i always called it like the introverts anthem Because uh, when she goes on about, you know, I shut my eyes and the world just drops dead. And that is exactly how any hermit in the world feels, I think, when they shut the door Mm -hmm. and they just want to kind of escape. But I think for me, what I really, really loved about this poem was um, was the internal rhyme scheme. And it Mm -hmm. kind of adds this dreamy like quality to it. The fact that you can kind of imagine her just like standing on a her Wuthering Heights cliffed off or something and just like and then insane about it and I just think that that's so endearing about this piece I don't know yeah what do you think Ethan
3: I kind of like the fact that I mean it is one of my favorite poems like I kind of I think what I love about Black is, is that is a lot of like her sort of like poetry kind of a lot of it is about herself and it's also a lot of it is about her husband and there's kind of like this like correlation of back and forth between them both in their work as well mm-hmm. and I think what I kind of got from Madco's love song is like it kind of shows sort of like I don't know it shows like her thinking process I think that's what I love the most about it
0: mm-hmm.
3: it's all about what she sees and what she thinks of but also kind of at the end especially it's everything that she tries to forget about it doesn't mm. want th- and actually also what she doesn't want to think about either that's kind of what I love about it because I oh. find with a lot of poetry uh, that I've sort of come across is a lot of thinking then wanting to forget as well because no one writes a happy poem do they <laughs> so yeah mm. uh, <laughs> no i mean that's just something i've always got out of the out of that particular poem and i just find it really fascinating how she's kind of she's put such a title and yet the content on the itself is so sort of bad and kind of of like melancholy so whereas the titles seems like something you would see on i don't know back of like a pop album or something (laughs) Um, so I find I always find that a little bit kind of um, contrasting and I always love a bit of contrast in poetry as well so that's kind of like, my thoughts on that particular poem I love how
2: I love how you pointed out what what, what isn't said in the poem that's really the essence of poetry um, reading between the lines
0: yeah it's very true
2: and so that you saw in, that deeply into it I really appreciate that
0: thank you. <laughs>
1: Well, from Sylvia Plath, I'm going to move on to my choice, I think, because my choice is Ted Hughes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a a bit of a juxtaposition, but I'm just going to go past it. So the poem I chose today was um, Perfect Light by Ted Hughes. There you are in all your innocence, sitting among your daffodils, as in a picture posed as for the title Innocence. Perfect light in your face lights it up like a daffodil. Like any one of those daffodils, it was to be your only April on earth. Among your daffodils, in your arms, like a teddy bear, your new son, only a few weeks into his innocence. Mother and infant, as in the holy portrait, and beside you, laughing up at you, your daughter barely too, like a daffodil. You turn your face down to her, saying something, your words were lost in the camera, and the knowledge inside the hill on which you are sitting, a moated fort hill, bigger than your house, failed to reach the picture, while your next moment, coming towards you like an infantryman, returning slowly out of no man's land, bowed under something, never reached you, simply melted into the perfect light. So I went a little bit outside of the box for this poem. Um, March is the month of my birthday. So it felt appropriate to choose a spring poem from his anthology Birthday Letters to discuss. Um, I believe it also fits with the theme in terms of madness and how that relates to the March hair as displayed by his difficult and very well-documented relationship with Sylvia Plath, as we've just <laughs> discussed. Um so what I like about Ted Hughes's poetry and I always find it interesting that Ted Hughes is one of my most favorite poets considering the sort of female empowered viewpoint that I have now, um, Mm. is that his whole collection in the birthday letters anthology is absolutely dripping in guilt Mm. and he can take the most simple things such as the daffodil in this poem and have them dripping in in this underlying torrent of self-loathing I think the daffodil here is used very much as a metaphor of innocence and this yeah. really shines through the whole of the poem and I just love that he's taken something that we see almost every spring and turned it into this icon of innocence and and guilt almost that is so lacking from our everyday lives mm. and and how that transcribed into what was missing from their relationship, I think. Um i found it really relatable probably because hughes is such a he's such a believer in the hidden side of the natural world Mm. and how it relates to us and i guess as a follower of a sort of of a druid path (laughs) i really appreciate that he displays the this kind of balance between light and dark within his work and there's something about this poem that made me feel very uncomfortable And that's always a sign of poetry that connects with me because it touches a nerve. So I really appreciate that about it. What do other people think?
2: (laughs) Oh, that's great. I love it. Happy, Happiest of happy birthdays.
3: (laughs) (laughs) See, like, again, I kind of mentioned this in the Sylvia Plath one. It's like, again, that correlation of back and forth. And I've I've read quite a lot of Ted Hughes as well. Um, what I find really interesting about, especially that particular poem, is that um, he's kind of he's sort of like put it in like a portrait image,
0: mm-hmm.
3: like he's looking at it. And um, yeah. but a lot of his, especially with birthday letters, as like Missy said, it's literally full of guilt and full of beautiful imagery. But what I found really quite interesting about that particular book is that it's all about Sylvia Plath. And when you look at kind of his other works, it's so intimidating and actually quite frightening.
1: <laughs> oh, no, it's just really intimidating.
3: <laughs> you know, and a lot of his kind of expression and his wording and his imagery in his other work is quite violent and quite... And just... I, that's the only thing I can say. It's so, like, a lot of his other work is intimidating, and yet there you have Birthday Letters, which is, I think, just basically just shows the complete underbelly of Ted Hughes and everything mm-hmm. that he thinks of when it comes to, like, his wife and his children and, like, his feelings about his family and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I just think, my God, like, there's a tender side to Ted Hughes. You know, it, if you compared like his other sort of like poems it's just you just think wow it blows you away because because you think that you know one person can only do one thing and can't do the other and again it's that contrast which just blows my mind with Ted Hughes mm. I, I guess that's my thoughts on it you know because a lot of his other work is just so sort of like intimidating violent quite you know it's quite it's really dark as well. And when you get to birth, when you sort of like sit down and sort of read birthday letters, you think, wow, God, this man can actually, he has a tender side and
0: hmm.
3: kind of like everything's kind of stripped away, which I found, which I always find really like fascinating. with Ted Hughes. Hmm. That's my thoughts on that.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> very well they were too.
1: Hmm. What about you, Daniel?
2: I'm, I'm really just sort of absorbing. I love all of, of the nuances that you two are bringing to me because I'm not familiar with their relationship or their work too much. Um, when I looked up the poem to read it, I did see that it said this was a, like a rarer, tender uh, work for him. So uh, I did. Uh, I was aware of that, but only marginally. And um, I see I, I, I we always project ourselves into everything. So I didn't see guilt. But I, I do have a lot of experience with loss, so uh, I saw *Loss*, and um, my first impression was that the uh, the poem had such an aching sense of the cruelty of time about it, which he adroitly coins as an infantryman uh, doing its terrible soldierly duty with a hardened lack of hesitation or pity. And uh, I saw something recently that said time is savage, which I uh, I thought was was insightful. And um, But also there's there's that underly, underlying beauty of, uh, of our time together and how brief it is. And uh, the metaphor of the daffodil, to me, it's, it carried such a sense of the organic nature of human life. I'm reminded of a favorite quote by uh, Rabindranath Tagore. He said, uh, we are like newborn children. Our power is the power to grow. And the child is gazing up like a flower. The love between mother and child like sunlight. Uh, soon to pass from this world, all of this is so precious in its impermanence. And I like where he says her, her words are lost into the camera. The laughter is lost, and in time all is lost. Um, it reminded me of a piece I wrote a few months ago about losing my best friend to liver cirrhosis and the loss of romantic love, which was hard on me. I said, uh, quietly, we three dissolve awash in tidal light. And it's that sense of how time washes over us, how powerless we are against it, against these titanic forces. Uh, I think we're both talking about here. It's uh, such bittersweet and a gorgeously mortal contemplation. Our lives are truly so amazing and so finite. Um, Macbeth summed it up the best when he said, out, brief candle, or uh, Shakespeare did in, in Macbeth. That is where I went with it
1: and I love that we've all got something different from it so. and that's yeah. the beauty of poetry I think mm-hmm. well with that in mind um, I think I'd like to move on to Ethan's choice if you may <laughs> which is different to both of us
3: <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I picked Emily Dickinson and I picked her poem Much Madness is Divinest Sense again I like short poetry I know you guys mm. kind of have like long versions, but I always feel that kind of Emily Dickinson's kind of overlooked in a lot of ways. Yeah, so this is much madness, is divinest sense. Much madness is divinest sense to a discerning eye. Much sense, the starkest madness, tis the majority in this as all prevail. then, and you are sane, the more you are away dangerous. And handled with a chain. Um, I guess uh, what I kind of got from this particular piece, it's very short and it is literally like a blast of poetry. Mm. And I kind of like her direct sort of, it's kind of her directly speaking to the world, I suppose. And I like that it actually still, it actually still sort of like resonates. To the world today, and I suppose she's questioning what is actually mad and what isn't mad, and I think there's a massive blurred line with that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what I find, what I find most, um, I suppose, hilarious in a way, is that this is a woman who spent a lot of, a lot of her time as a recluse. Um, She didn't go out much, she took care of her mother, who was very sick, and um she actually spoke to strangers through the door, and, um <laughs> you know, or most of her friends, like, she spoke to in correspondence letters throughout her whole life, and, like, the closest person she was close to was her sister-in-law, and that relationship is a little bit questionable by scholars as well, <laughs> they've, like, read into her. Um... But I suppose I just like her sort of like her directness to the world, even though a lot of like her poetry, you know, a lot of people, a lot of poets get um, sort of like inspiration or imagery through what they see, whereas she got hers a lot through her own mind, which I thought really uh, tied in with the theme of madness because, Hmm. you know, she got all this from her own head without even going up, without even talking up the front door a lot of the time so that's what I found particularly interesting about this poem and this person as well how she's she's sort of like speaking so directly and so powerful in her poetry but yet yeah, she barely went out the front door and when people did see her she was wore white <laughs> so I just found that particularly quite sort of like in a way funny and in a way, kind of like, wow, like, this is all from your own mind without even sort of, like, any sort of, like, other inspiration around you. So that's kind of, like, what I got from my career. And I suppose the way it made me feel is, you know, you can be, I don't know, I guess you could be anybody. Doesn't matter about status or who you are, where you come from. If you've got something to say, then, you know, you are allowed to say it and no one should really stop you and you could be someone who might do things a little bit differently but it also but it doesn't make you what we consider mad and I suppose that's what I got from it what are people's thoughts
1: I think what got to me most of all was the, the very very first line where it says much madness is divinest sense and there's that quote that I absolutely in love by aristotle which is there's no great genius without some touch of madness yeah
0: <laughs> um
1: and i think she displays very much that it sometimes you know madness in its sort of most divine sense is almost a gift because it kind of like gives you this these um it gives you another view of the world and i think that that's always really important and the fact that she's highlighted that in a poem that's what eight lines long but and it it didn't also click with me until you said about the fact that she was such a recluse um but the last line there it says and handled with a chain but yeah. for some reason it my mind sort of like imagined her kind of like peeking through the door almost like with the <laughs> chain across it like i mean they probably didn't just then but that's how i kind of imagined it in my mind so yeah. i think what i what i just loved about it most was the imagery and so that's what connected with it for me how about you daniel
2: out of the ones that we read, I projected my personal experience the most into this one because uh, uh, I've wrestled a lot with uh, with subjects of uh, your personal reality versus uh, the enforced societal reality. And um, it made me think immediately of uh, how powerfully impacted I was by that recent movie Joker with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Hmm. Um, I think the piece speaks to the exacting cruelty of societal conformity. It's willful blindness to anything that is different. It's both uh, psychologically nuanced and it's also a yet a, a natural and simplistic subject because it's something so so universal. And it got me thinking about something my Buddhist instructor told me in class. Um, he said, what is it that makes humanity the dominant species across the earth? And people instantly read, uh, readily answered uh, their intelligence. I offered the opposable thumb, you know, with a bit of cheek intended. Uh, but what he was aiming at was this. Uh, put 100,000 monkeys, chickens, rabbits, any animal really in a stadium and you'll have pandemonium. Put 100,000 people in the stadium, you'll basically have order. Uh, what makes us the dominant species is our ability to act cooperatively, cohesively, in tandem, uh, to bring about a communal mind, which is uh, capable of achieving communal goals. As Wonder says this is, uh, those who choose not to conform, or someone like the Joker character, or anyone who's sufficiently deviant uh, in the psychological disorder, who is just, or someone who's just simply naturally different, who finds themselves unable to conform, gets ground under these relentless wheels of uniformity it's all rather darwinian like evolutionary science uh that which does not adapt does not prosper and uh the insights you gave me into her personally i I was aware of a little bit of it but you really sort of brought her to to made her made her more real more flesh and blood the way you described her Uh, you know her uh her personal nuances the way she lived and uh I, i got to thinking about like people that were just naturally different and um and we always empathize with and admire uh, the flower that blooms like red in the field of blue, like your, your Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, Sid Vicious, etc. So like on the poem, on, on the surface, the poem tells us uh, it's sane to assent madness to dissent, be rewarded with a chain. Um, yet the meaning is clearly the opposite, that uh, the such draconian punishment for individuality is uh, the true madness I think it says a lot about the absurd function of society to drown the individual in the dogmatic din. But uh, but I think that's just me projecting my personal experience into it.
1: Because we're all a little mad. But here we are, <laughs> discussing poetry together. Yeah. yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your thoughts on these poems today and for sharing them with us. And I believe that's our first time doing this segment, which is quite exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, as usual, the titles of all these poems discussed today will be listed in the show notes so that you can look them up later for your own viewing pleasure. And please send us your thoughts as well. If you've had any sort of personal reaction to them or thoughts that you'd like to share, we'd love to hear them. So if you've enjoyed this discussion and would like to feature on it, please get in touch with us either by PMing us on Deep Underground or you can email us anytime at undergroundoutloud at outlook.com. DeepUndergroundPoetry.com
2: Okay, this is called Friday Freestyle. Yo, I got that in the moment meth ed off the dome freestyle still equipped to spit ill will that'll hit bones depth home and all just to make them smile. I word with ease as these lines matter, lather like foam to the chrome after a while, watch the crowd gather as they pile and glare where starry eyed wonder scrapes their minds bare. Spare none as I spill my
4: guile, ever cognizant of copious cats, coyly coping inklets of carthotic
2: couplets covered in rhyme, possibly becoming conversation fodder for a couple of verse coppers claiming ownership for what's been explicitly expelled
5: from a gifted mind.
6: Poetic mind there with a rendition of his own poetry. Wasn't that fantastic? Now, as you may or not know, the fourth annual Deep Underground NAPO will be kicking off very shortly. Time is ticking on the registration period. I'm told there's a flurry of activity going on by co-hosts and team to bring you a fun-filled month. What you probably don't know is one of the said co-hosts is right here with us on the podcast Project to tell us all about it. Avati.
7: It's wonderful to be here and you know the on behalf of team Napo 2020 we would like to start out by expressing our gratitude at you allotting us you know this this generous uh, time in order to to share with you you know what we're doing and what we have planned I mean we expected like just a public service announcement so when you invited us on it was it was a very nice surprise so we want you to know that we appreciate you guys we know you work very hard every month to bring quality broadcasts to the deep underground and we really appreciate you all your hard work uh, you've got a great team and so thank you for that
6: you're very welcome um so Napo, Napo. uh NAPO, NAPO, um, into <laughs> its fourth year now, uh, causing a bit of a buzz around the place. What exactly is NAPO, and why do you think it attracts poets in such numbers?
1: Well,
7: first off, NAPO-RIMO is, is simply an acronym for National Poetry Writing Month. Or You will also see GLOPO-RIMO, which is global Um, National Poetry Writing Month. And it originated here in America about, I think, 14, maybe 13, 14 years ago. And it has spread globally. And I think for poets, especially those who join NAPO, I think 90, over 90 percent of our team are returning NAPO. Members, and you'll be seeing that in their bios that we will be be posting this month, you know, to introduce them and their responsibilities and how they can serve you during this global event here, right here on DU. Uh, And I think I'm I'm trying to get a broad spectrum of what people have told me brings them back to Napo. You know, we have several members who who one in particular that I have to credit you know, for the spawn of the seed of Napo, which is is Daisy Grace, who was formerly goddess Minerva. But she says Napo brings me home. And I thought her saying that was it it was so heartwarming to hear her say that Napo will always bring her home to deep underground poetry. And it was heartwarming for two reasons. One, because she considers deep underground poetry her home. And when she does write, she will always come back to DU and the fact that it's NAPO that brings her back. And I think a lot of poets on our team and a lot of poets that, that register for the event have learned or will learn that they can actually write when they think they can't. And I think for any poet. Who suffers writer's block or doubts that they can produce a good poem or have anything to write about? They learn through this process that they can write about anything. We've had people write about their cup of coffee in the past, you know, a a pen, a word. So I think a poet in a poet with a poet's heart, I think NAPO just brings them home. And I think that's a good word to use. They feel like they're coming home.
6: I mentioned already you were in your fourth year now. Um it going back to the start, uh well I know you've mentioned Daisy Grace there as well, you know. Um why is well, you've already answered that really. I was gonna say why you felt compelled to bring Naples to you and I, I think you've answered that fairly fairly well, you know, unless you want to add something else to it.
7: Well, um, you know, Daisy Daisy posted I, I think it was the end of March in two thousand sixteen, <clears throat> a thread in the Speakeasy, you know. Uh, about anybody who's doing NAPO, you know, off board is is welcome to join her. And I was, of course, this is my 12th year. So at the time, I think it was my eighth year doing it. And I was doing it off board in two different places. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm doing it on Facebook and a blog. She's doing it on a blog. This is a poetry site. Why hasn't Deep Underground ever had a poetry writing month. And of course, it was already the end of March. So it was too late. I, I didn't want to jump in and do. I wanted it to be right if it was going to be a site um, feature. So at that that's the point I contacted uh, uh, Johnny Blaze, my co-host. Uh, You know, and said, hey, would you be interested in 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 helping with a site sponsored NAPO next year? You know, it'll take us a while to get the dynamics. It's too late this year. And he said, absolutely. And so we messaged, you know, several members just to gauge interest. Hey, if we had a NAPO, would you participate? And I think 75 percent of them were. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. And so at that point, we just kind of coordinated and, and and we contacted Webmiss and said, OK, this is what we want to do. And but we know it's going to take a lot of coordination, a lot of time to do it right. You know, so we're, we're shooting for April of 2017. And so we worked we worked really hard, you know, back and forth coming up with, OK, can we do this? Can we do that? Should we do this? Should we do that? And we grew from two co-hosts back in 2017, our first one to we have a team you know of 14 now so it's you know I love seeing the membership get involved in this because this isn't our NAPO we're, we're just providing a what is it we're providing an avenue you know it, it's it's a DU's NAPO and it's the participants NAPO it's we're, we're we just kind of provided the the runway here and eventually you know at some point we're we're going to say hey Who's interested in taking this over? Because it will be time for a younger generation, the next generation of DU, to come in and, you know, host this. But we do hope it will always remain, as as long as the site exists, that it will remain an official DU NAPO. We even have a poetry page now like the podcast has. So the history of NAPO will always be there. All
6: right. Um, Well, you kind of half-answered this next question, (laughs) too. Um, so it started with yourself and Johnny Blaze, and right. uh, it was it was an effort then. Um, so and you were talking about how it evolved, and now you've a four-man team. But in terms of um substance, I suppose, or or, or content, because you, you it's not just simply uh, get on and write you know a poem every day for 13 months. I, I mean, what is there? What is the function, I suppose, to be the best of the team now?
7: Yeah, and you're right. We we have evolved, you know, over the years, and of course, practice takes perfect. Just like you know, the podcast you guys are 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 always evolving because we together, you know, we see things that hey, you know, let's try this or let's do this, and and as you know, you know, in in, in broadcasting or whatever, you ha- you have to keep things fresh. You know, you have to yeah. keep things fresh and new and ever evolving, and we evolved. I think our third year. Last year we actually developed a theme we were poets of the Caribbean and this year as as you can see by our registration thread that we are poet trek you know so so last year pirates of the Caribbean was our theme this year star trek all generations through some kind of multi time warp thing which will you know kind of be revealed in time is our theme so <laughs> we have evolved in that aspect as far as you know themes and and providing graphics every day to and providing countdowns every day in those graphics that not only the registrants look forward to because they love seeing that little check by their name that yay we made it through another day and then the weekly check and and all of that but it it is a lot of work behind the scene it's not just one person you know it's not just posting a poem a day there in all challenges. And we don't use the word competition here because it is a challenge. It's not a competition because everyone is a winner. Not one person is a winner. Everyone is rewarded for completing NAPO. And last year, I think we had almost 30 register and 25 limped (laughs) across the finish line, literally. So when there's 25 to 30 people, You've got to have rules and regulations and and those rules and regulations is just to kind of keep everybody walking in the same direction versus scattering, you know, like ants or flies or whatever. So we have, um, you know, our our team members first off, you know, we have ambassadors who will welcome all registrants, you know, everybody at D.U., is welcome in this napo yeah. rhino rhino and we encourage that and we have ambassadors and that is talent and shadow who will be showing up shortly and, and you know they're they're going to provide the warm welcomes and the you know thank you for participating and and a lot of them kind of overlap but there's you know it's evolved to ambassadors uh, we have timekeepers to ensure that each entrant, you know, posts within their respective times. And, and that's also Shadow. And Wally is stepping in to kind of, you know, head that up. So Wally Roo, I think, I, I you know, I might not use their, their formal name, but you know who I'm talking about. And I hope the board knows who I'm talking about. So we have timekeepers who ensure that they post within that 24-hour period. We have edit monitors who ensure that they do not go back after 24 hours of posting and, and change word counts or whatever. And that's um, Imperfected Stone or Poppy, as we know her. We'll be heading that up with with Wally in the background assisting her. We have our unique word counters who make sure that each poem has 50 unique words because we want people to learn that they can write poetry not just limericks or haikus just to get through a day but you can do this you can write poetry and like i said we had 25 just this last year the biggest ever that that showed themselves not us they showed themselves that they could do it so the unique word counters we have um daisy grace and and poet's revenge um, heading that up with, with Talon as a backup. We have number and title clerks to make sure each poem is numbered respectively and does have a title, and that is Josh heading that up with Summer Rain. We have home base. Indy, Miss Indy, will be holding our home base down. And our script writers are Orc Pirate and Johnny Blaze. And I think you probably saw Orc Pirate's um, narrative on Johnny's last post. She is an amazing script writer along with Johnny. So they'll be doing the narrative for the stories. And, of course, I'll be doing the graphic design. So, so there's your Team Napo, you know, 2020 right there. And we are just we're very proud of them. And, of course, we have. A very, very special surprise um, that will be posted tomorrow for you guys. And I'm going to go ahead and because by the time this broadcasts, it will have already been posted. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you for the first time in deep underground history, Webmiss has submitted a poem and a graphic design for NAPO for the marketing purposes so you will get to see her first poem ever as herself and we are just so honored and excited about that that we just you know we, we're just really honored and excited about
6: it lovely now i have to stop you there uh just for one second because you sure. reminded me of something um well done Indy, on having your baby uh how everything that works out uh, you know yay baby um, I know. Right?
7: And she has a little one, too. So she's going to yeah, be really, really busy, you know, in April.
6: Now, um, the poets who participate are generally psyched up, um, a little happy, a little excited even. Um, would you say the hosts or you yourself and your team have a part to play in keeping the atmosphere? Uh, is it bubbly the word? Um, and poets focused on the task at hand as well.
7: Oh, absolutely. Uh, It always starts out with a bang. The first week is woohoo. Yay. Yeah. Wow. We're doing this. We're doing this. The second week, not so much. Uh, they start getting tired. They start uh, experiencing some doubts. Oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I have to work a double shift. I've got this coming up. And, you know, Easter always falls during NAPO. It seems it just never fails. So you've got holidays, you've got spring breaks, you've got um, so much. And we have to keep them encouraged. And that's what this team is for. This team hold you up when you think you can't stand. I mean, we're there for you, whether privately or publicly, we are there to support you, to encourage you and to keep you going. And I think once you finish one NAPO, there's no stopping you for the next NAPO, unless something dire, you know, or extreme happens. There's just, there's no stopping you. And we're very lenient. One thing I do want to mention is that we understand when things come up. So, we work with people. I mean, if you have to miss a day because of an emergency, I mean, you can't control technology. You can't control that your Internet will not go down for 30 days. All you have to do is contact us. The spirit of NAPO is to write 30 poems in 30 days. That is the spirit of NAPO. And so we encourage you, even if you have to miss a day, hey, you haven't fallen off that horse. Just double post the next day. And oh, and that works or, beautifully.
6: Or write it on a on a, write it on a maybe your jutter or a journal or something like that. So you have it for that day and maybe, you know, take a picture of it and post that the next day something you know even
7: that you know right and you you just you just brought up a very good point that that i haven't even mentioned yet we do in our in our registration guidelines you will read how to get ready for napo you have 30 days from now until april 1st to jot down your ideas in a journal you can even write a few lines of a poem or a stanza of a poem you know and finish it during april and in april you can even write two or three poems if you are inspired to write two or three poems one day then you are inspired to write two or three poems in one day don't wait Mm. then you have two more poems to post after that day or two more poems to save in case an emergency happens and you can't post so we're very lenient we do provide excuses just let us know hey their internet was down, they're excused, you know, don't mark them. And, you know, we get people through this. If we have to, if the whole team has to go back and carry one person across that finish line, we're going to do it if, if in all way possible and human.
6: Now, if you have, let's say, 25 participants and they all finish, you're looking at, of course, the 700 homes on on that uh, tread or in around that area, you know, that's a exactly. lot of poetry
7: and you can tell by the views that this you know we market this everywhere i mean last year we did graphics for every single participant we we pulled one of their poems and we put it on a graphic and you know webmiss had it across her social networking we had it across our social networking so the threads get 10 you know thousands and thousands of views not just from DU members or NAPO participants but but people who were just watching I I had several messages last year that said hey I didn't participate but I want you to know that that that's one of the best organized NAPOs I've ever seen I mean people I never knew you know were messaging us telling us what a great event and that they were actually watching us because they were thinking about about doing it themselves. So mm-hmm. you know, deep underground poetry really, really has a lot of eyes in April. It really does.
6: Now um a kind of important and you know, um what kind of skill or experience might one need to take on what I would consider a mammoth of a task. Uh a poem a day for a month would probably drain me for life. So um what is there an experience level, um, you know, or skill level that that's that's needed, let's say, to to start and finish?
7: That's a great question. Um, I'm gonna have to say I think the only skill that you really, really need is the desire to write, the determination to finish, and the mm-hmm. mindset that you can do it. All whether right. you've written one poem or 1000 poems those are the three things that i think you need in order to complete a napo
6: all right um all right so yeah that's that's handy enough so in, 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 basically if if you have the will for it the passion for it uh and, and the time for it, i suppose um it's you're on you know you're on mm-hmm.
7: exactly that was well said the will and the passion i wish i'd use those two words so yeah that's good
6: but I, I can rewind it and you can start again if you like. Okay. <laughs> Let's do that. No. Um, so, like, bearing in mind that this is April, um, is there still time to register?
7: Um, okay, I know Missy's going to have to edit this part. Is this airing in March or April? I thought well, it was airing I'll, this month.
6: I'll be doing, I'll be doing editing.
7: So will I'll, it be- I'll be editing it. Okay, so, uh, so will it be broadcasted in March or
6: April? Yeah, it's going out in, what, what, it's just going out those 17 days, 16 days, So Okay, I mean, so it's,
7: it's March. March. Okay. <clears throat> so you might want to rephrase the question because you said it's already April. Is there time to register? So you might want to rephrase that, yeah, yeah to, to say March.
6: So, um, and more importantly, is there still time to register?
7: Absolutely. I mean, just 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 visit deepundergroundpoetry.com. That is deepundergroundpoetry.com. Go to our forums to our speakeasy forum and you will see the official DU Rimo 2020 registration thread. And all you have to do is type I'm in your location, your time zone for our timekeepers and you're in. You're, you must register by March 31st in order to participate because you understand we have to get all of this together. We have to, to chart people where they are. We have to assign registrants to team members who will keep track of their, you know, edit uh, monitors and their, you, you know, timekeepers and all of that. So that is why we require registration before April 1st because we have to get all of our ducks in a row.
6: All right, and April first is April Fool's Day, too, so don't we?
7: wee, <laughs> and and we ain't fooling.
6: <laughs> um, what advice would you give to poets who who signed up for the first? You, know.
7: you can do it you can do this. You're going to be nervous. You're going to have doubts, but remember, you know, we are here for you. This team, team NAPO 2020 is here for you. We're here to provide you inspiration. We're here to provide you, you know, support, uh, anything that you need. If you feel you can't go on, reach out. I know, I think in 2017, we had one that was just, you know, flailing and, You know, Johnny, Johnny really, really supported her by by, you know, messaging and posting, you know, Thomas the train. You know, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You know, and and she got through. She literally got through because of that. So, you know, we are here, uh, you know, and, and this is when we decided we needed a team because Johnny and I used to do all this. We used to do the time, the monitor, everything that this team is doing, we used to do. And we're like, we can't do this. This is way too big. It needs to be a, a team effort, a DU effort, a group effort. And so that's why we had to evolve with a team, you know, because it's it's it is mammoth. And if we can do this, then they can do this.
6: Right, very well. that. Um, and those poets who are on the brink of signing up.
7: Do it do it It, napo gives you something that and i it's hard to explain exactly the feeling napo gives you but if you could relate it to something in your life such as uh winning a race winning an award accomplishing something you know graduation day it 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 gives you such a sense of accomplishment and pride, not just for yourself, but, you know, because it's something that you weren't sure you could do, but you did it. And trust me, we've had all levels, all levels from from, you know, there's a couple of members who they're members, but they don't participate you know, except for NAPO, because they, they, you know, saw our marketing offline. And and again, they always, it will, coming back to NAPO every year, whether you're an active DU board member or not, is coming home. You have a place to come home with other poets who were all walking toward the same direction. And it is an absolutely beautiful thing, not just for yourself, but a group effort to experience. And if you've never experienced that Please give yourself, as a writer, as a poet, an opportunity to experience that.
6: Um, all right. So there you go, good people. bit of time left, what, for 13, 14 days to register. Um, Havati and her team will lead you through the finish line. So what are you waiting for? If you're not a member of DU and you'd like to be, go to deepundergroundpoetry.com and be one. Havati, it's been... A pleasure to have you here and tell us about NAPO, and many thanks from the podcast project for doing so. Um, Could you lead us out with one of your offerings in last year's NAPO?
7: Nature's first green, wisteria in snow. April's green linen jacket donning saucer magnolias, marbled pink umbrellas of scented organics cocooned wisteria unfurl, lavender wings from dormancy, inverted hyacinth sleeping as bats over a lambent lawn, then snow, unannounced, her magnetics appealing to vulnerable blooms, their frost-bitten corolla, so once brightly birthed, darkened now by touch. What we learn, letting go, surrendering our lives into fate is the price for knowledge, experience, inevitable death and wisdom through rebirth. Love you. you know, on behalf of Team NAPO 2020, Amen, we just want to thank you so much for having us and just let you know that you guys are doing a terrific job and we truly appreciate you.
5: Deep
0: underground DeepUndergroundPoetry.com Risky Quizness
2: You do not truly know someone until you fight them, says the enigmatic character Seraph, from the now-classic movie series The Matrix. With this martial wisdom in mind, our fates entwine once again to bring you another installment of the cheek-flavored quiz segment we call Risky quizness. And once again, it falls to me to stir the pot and get your neurons firing. Your host for the proceedings, Daniel Christensen. I'm not getting paid for this, but on the upside, I don't have to shave or comb my hair. I, who goes in singing with a sword amongst defenseless men. Quick pregame point if you can name the author of this gorgeous line of poetry. No.
1: <laughs> no clue. <laughs>
2: So we will not be having a pregame point, and that is Pablo Neruda, which I'm always talking about. So joining me in this endeavor, this jaunt into what I hope will be a revel of ribaldry, is none other than our man, Ethan Boybrains, a poet of exquisite, minimalist poetry. And thank you for joining us, Ethan.
3: Thank you for having me, as always.
2: (laughs) Maybe you can make me sound less like an idiot. We can only help. We can only help. Okay, so I've waxed poetic, as I am wont to do. But with no further ado, please allow me to introduce our guests. First up, the champion, the undefeated, unassailable, nigh on unapproachably talented and somewhat curmudgeonly Missy Demeanour, gathering her glamours before the ancient Salisbury Stones on a sweltering summer solstice. I can't believe I got that out. Lady, might I ask you for your buzzer and a short introduction to the gallery?
1: Well, uh, firstly, I didn't understand about six words that you have just said. And secondly... (laughs) (laughs) My buzzer today is I am paying homage to my Essex roots, and I've just found this. So there we go. Shut your
8: mouth because she's mugging you left, right, and centre. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, I guess that's enough of an introduction. And lastly, but never leastly, the unghastly and unbeastly Lady of Wales, who has been described to me as a wallpaper hanging ninja whose services are greatly desired in this capacity a pugilist that will pepper you with a flurry of blows before delivering the haymaker that sends you into the land of slumber. You know her, you love her. She is a poetess of terrific acumen and gorgeous vocal elucidations. She is Anita Magdalena. Can I ask you for your buzzer and uh, for an introduction to the gallery?
4: You
0: can.
1: Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that? We did. (laughs) We've, we've got a fine flurry of intellectual buzzers
4: right now. Oh my God. Hi, I'm Anita. You all know me as Magdalena. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> That's great to have you. Hi. Okay, so thank you everyone for your kind indulgence. And now, since all is said and less is done, let's let the game begin. And we are starting with round one that is universally challenged, which is questions on poetry and literature. And question number one. Please allow me to finish reading the question as I went to the trouble of writing it before you buzz in. The title of this poem comes from St. Paul's Epistle of the Romans. Epistle? The title is, And Death Shall Have No Dominion. Can you name the author of this poem? I'll give you a couple of multiple choice. And I'll allow each of you a single guess. Choice A is William Ambrose. B is Ben Davies. C is David Samwell, or D is Dylan Thomas.
0: Whatever.
8: A. I forgot it,
2: his name. It, it is not William Ambrose. Oh,
8: okay. Shut your mouth, cause she's mugging you left, right,
2: and center. <laughs> That's missing. D. It is D, Dylan Thomas. I figured you guys would say D, cause it's the only name I recognize. <laughs> Um, he's also known for Do Not Go Gently Into That Good Night, which I believe may have been the inspiration behind the Tenacious D song, Fuck Her Gently. <laughs> That's fucking teamwork. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I'm sorry for swearing. It is America. Okay. Okay. So let's move on to question two. Complete the title of this macabre short story by Edgar Allan Poe. The Murders in the Rue. I'll give you some multiple choice. (laughs) A, space station, B, morgue, C, mansion, or D, discotheque? Whatever. Morgue. It is the room (laughs) morgue. Well done. We're getting off on a good start. All right, question three. This author is widely considered the mother of modern literature, and here's a clue. Who is afraid of her? I'll give you some more multiple choice. Shut your mouth, because she's mugging you
8: left, right, and center. That's Missy. It's not like
3: Virginia Woolf or something, is it?
2: It is Virginia Woolf. (laughs) Right on. You don't need my multiple choice.
3: Thank God someone got that right.
2: (laughs) I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I Googled all this. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, we're up to question four. Complete the lines of this famous sailor's ditty. Me mutter sang to me in ye olden days. He's Popeye the Sailor Man. He lives in a garbage can. Ladies? I have no clue. Come on, didn't anyone have a childhood?
4: I watched it, but I can't remember.
2: Eamon knew it.
1: Eamon would. He's a strange little man that just eats green. I mean he probably identified.
2: <laughs> yeah. Alright, so nobody knows it. I'll finish. He eats all the worms and he spits out the germs. He's put by the sailor, man. Toot toot. Nice. Yes, yes. It's so wonderful I get to sound like an idiot while you sit there quiet. Joke description. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question number five. Rats live on no evil star. A poem, a book title, and apparently a song by Beatles' odd man behind the drum cans, Ringo Starr, is an example of what kind of literary technique. I'll give you some multiple choice. A is a pun. B, a palindrome. C, a metaphor. And D, Daniel is a conundrum, so what the fuck? Shut your mouth,
8: cause she's mugging you left, right, and
2: center. That's messy. It's
8: a palindrome.
2: It is a palindrome. D is also true, but unflattering, so no points would be awarded for that answer. <laughs> Moving along, question six. There are many forms of poetry in the Occidental and Oriental traditions. This style of writing is called bush poetry or bush ballads and is unique to which country?
8: Shut your mouth because she's mugging you left, right,
2: and center. That's busy again. <laughs> uh, ch- China? Japan? It is, it is not China, Anina. Do you have one?
1: No! Sorry, Come
2: on. I was
4: distracted.
2: <laughs> Bush poetry or Bush ballads? <laughs> I, don't
4: know. I haven't got a clue.
2: All right, well, it's Australia.
4: Right. I thought,
2: I thought Bush would be good enough. Uh, many early Bush poems originated. <laughs> well,
4: I was thinking, but I thought I'd better not say it because I didn't want to look stupid.
2: Just shoot it out. We couldn't possibly look any more foolish than we already do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Many early Bush poems originated in Australia's convict system and were transmitted orally rather than in print. And I'm curious if I'm the only one who finds Bush poetry transmitted orally kind of arousing.
1: What if I get you through tonight, love?
2: (laughs) Okay, just me then. And I'm okay with that. All right, question number seven. The misnomer of Frankenstein is often applied to a creature of classic literature actually more accurately defined as anyone <laughs> no idea no Franken Scooby <laughs> <laughs> the answer is Frankenstein's monster oh. Oh. I'm not doing very well <laughs> <laughs> that's alright you're tired you're fresh in from work alright question number 8 complete the final line of this famous poem by WB Yeats which I believe is William Butler I would spread the cloths under your feet But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your
5: feet.
8: No clue. Shut your mouth, because she's mugging you left, right,
1: and center. Missy? So so that your carpet be soft in the early morn.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is not a carpet cleaning commercial. Damn it. (laughs) It is tread softly because you tread on my dreams. Oh, Bit of a try
4: thing to do, isn't it? Yeah.
2: I don't um, know much poetry, so <laughs> I always like that one. Alright. Moving along, question nine. Give me the title of this famous work of literature by American author and fiercely independent naturalist and social nonconformist Henry David Doro. He named for a lake in Concord, Massachusetts.
8: Shut your mouth because she's mugging you left, right, and center. That's Missy. Walden.
2: It is Walden
8: bloody
1: hell i haven't got a clue <laughs> and i and i only know that because like my whole dream is based on that book <laughs> so was gonna get that one you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> i read that when i was 19 i was blown away all right question 10 close to close out the round this book about aspiring filmmaker Tanya wiseau was later adapted into a film starring james franco consequently wiseau's film is one of those that is considered so bad it is somehow good anyone anyone he looks he looks he looks kind of like she's mugging you left right and center that's missy uh
1: care bears go gangster seven <laughs>
2: no he's a european guy he looks kind of like a uh, a fashionable dracula it is the disaster artist oh okay. which i haven't seen yet but my friend read the book
4: oh never heard of that either
2: uh that's too bad the disaster artist would not be an accurate description of my early attempts at creating audio poems if you've heard any i'm getting better at it not <laughs> inconsequently and i learned everything i know from our two contestants anita and missy who are absolutely brilliant so thank you much ladies all right ethan can we have our tally for round one please my good fellow
3: We've got Anita on one, and Missy on
2: four.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to happen.
2: she has <laughs> got the chip stacked against you, and all she has to do is lean on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I learned when I saw, saw the movie Rounders. Okay, now that we're getting warmed up, let's get cooking with the next round. Round two is I am smarticus. Do-do-do-do which was a really cool title. Props to Missy. General knowledge and current affairs. Question number one. Name the virus which recently had caused quarantines in Chinese cities and restrictions of Chinese nationals upon international travel. Shut
8: your mouth because she's mugging you left, right, and center. That's Missy. It was uh, coronavirus.
2: It is indeed the coronavirus. And worry not, good citizens, you're still far more likely to die from good old flu or crushed under the wheels of a vehicle driven by a person who's texting. So remember to look both ways and wash your hands, but please both not at the same time.
1: Isn't that a lovely thought? <laughs> I did know that
4: one, but I let me see out that one. <laughs> I was waiting for you,
2: <laughs> Very kind of you, Anita. <laughs>
0: okay,
2: question number two. No, that was question two. Question number three. The first name of this infamous despot who governed the much-embattled land of Ka- Cambodia during a brief but devastating period of the late 70s as its prime minister sounds like something if it were 10 feet long you would still not want to touch someone with. His last name is often cited as hypocritical for calling the kettle black. If you can understand this question, hopefully you appreciate the clever construction of my clues.
4: Fucking what, mate? (laughs) I have no clue what you're talking about.
2: Okay, let me just break out the (laughs) the relevant parts. You wouldn't touch someone with it if it was ten feet long, and it calls the kettle black. Pol- pol pol Pol-pot. What? (laughs) You're almost there. Complete it. Complete the thought. Make it happen.
4: Oh, pole pot I don't know. Pot? There you go. <laughs>
2: That's one for Anita.
4: I didn't press my buzzer. Never mind.
2: That's around. Right. Like that?
1: There is somebody out there called Pol Pot.
2: <laughs> that is his name. You've got to have words. You know all the stupid <laughs> things I'm always texting people. Earlier I was asking people, do you think there's anyone named Alfredo?
1: Baby Pol Pot. But there's never one of them around. It's like Barry's, isn't it? You never see a baby one.
2: Or oh, Karen. <laughs> <Baby> Karen. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a nice, uh, a nice television show, Baby carrot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question number four. This animator of a couple of widely loved cartoons has also starred in a Star Trek spoof television series called The Orville, and films such as Ted and A Million Ways to Die in the West.
1: Oh, um, oh fucking hell, what's his name?
2: He's like a little penis with the ears. He smelt. Shut your mouth, because she's mugging you left, right, and center. That's Is Missy. it,
1: Seth. McFarlane.
2: it is seth mcfarlane he is a somewhat brutal critic of the handicapped and overweight and it's all in good fun and i'm certain when he is one or both of these in the future he will appreciate the irony all right on to question five this sculptured nude by michelangelo is likely the most widely known in the world
1: i have no clue um um, um uh, the venus de Milo.
2: <laughs> no david which is rumored to be his lover and uh he wasn't hanging dong but he made up for it with those chiseled abs do you remember it now
4: Nope. <laughs> yeah, I remember it.
1: <laughs> as soon as you said up she woke up. But... <laughs> yeah, my, my mom had
4: um, a miniature version of it when we were children hmm. in the house.
2: Oh, it's too ready and buzz on that one. Didn't know it. We both crapped out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you'll get this one. Question six: In this beloved children's book, become a classic movie. Wesley was looking for his beloved Princess Buttercup, disguised as this notorious privateer of the high seas.
4: I'm, not, I'm totally rubbish at this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We, we appreciate your indulgence. He had a black mask. It was played by Carrie Always.
4: Zorro is the only one I know with a black mask.
2: A similar character, the Dread Pirate Roberts. You don't remember the, uh, the Princess no. Bride? No. Nope. Oh uh, never, never heard of him in my life. <laughs> well, I was gonna say good luck storming the castle, but no one would get the reference. Maybe our maybe our maybe our listeners. Okay. Question seven. Born David Robert Jones, and unfortunately having passed from this world in recent years. This iconic artist gave us such hits as Space Oddity, Fame, and the wisely coined I am afraid of Americans. Whatever. That's Anita.
4: David Bowie.
2: That is David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> Right on, we fucking love you, Ziggy Stardust. Did for, I just go uh,
4: on right? <laughs>
2: wow. <laughs> let's 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 keep that trend going. Okay, question eight. This broadcast network of Great Britain is nearly a century old and brought us such hits as Monty Python's Flying Circus and more recently Broadchurch and Sherlock Holmes. Shut your
8: mouth, cause she's mucking you left,
2: right, and centre. That's Missy.
8: BBC.
2: It is the BBC, the British Broadcasting BBC. Network.
8: Uh, I was
4: going to say ITV, so I'm glad I never.
2: Anita does not have time to watch too much television.
4: (laughs) No, I don't. Especially BBC.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That must be the equivalent of our Fox network. Yeah,
4: yeah, hopefully.
2: All right, question nine. A recent tragedy befell the Americas, and indeed the entire world, as this basketball legend was killed in a helicopter crash, along with his young daughter and several others accompanying them.
8: Shut your mouth, because she's mugging you left, right, and center. That's missing. Kobe Bryant.
2: Kobe Bryant, indeed.
8: I
1: can not remember sad. his name.
2: Wonderful heroic figure of sports. Much love. You will be missed.
1: Wasn't Kobe Bryant, like, almost seven foot tall?
2: That's pretty much a requirement in basketball, isn't it? I,
1: I know, but how did he get in the helicopter? Because this is what is going on <laughs> in my head. He's very tall. <laughs> Surely that cannot have been a convenient way to travel.
2: It was his helicopter. He probably was just in it for the thrill. Uh, Okay, the final question for the round. Question 10. This country, founded shortly after the horrors of World War II, has found itself embroiled in a terrible struggle with Palestine for many years. Shut
8: your mouth, because she's mugging you left, right, and
2: center. That's Missy. Syria? It is not Syria. Anita?
4: I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) I I it. (laughs) throw a country out. You might get lucky. I don't know. I'm rubbish at geography. I still don't know the name of many countries.
2: <laughs> All right, then. Anita's not going I'm to try. I am leaving a
4: little box in Wales.
2: It's, wh- it's Wales. There
1: you go. It's not. <laughs> it you never not heard Wales. of the Great Palestine-Welsh War? <laughs> <laughs>
2: The answer is Israel. Oh,
0: right.
2: Oy, Vashanda. I should never buy Gribbonus from a moil. It's so chewy. A bonus point if you can name the character who delivered those lines. Shut your mouth, because she's mugging you left, right, and center. Missy. Mrs. Doubtfire. It is Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) Played by the late and great Robin Williams. Well done, well done. You know, I met him when I was a little boy. They were filming... uh, Moscow and the Hudson in my in my hometown of Garrison Beach, and uh, I I rode on my tricycle down the alley between the uh, between the houses where they were uh, where they were filming out on the water. And my tricycle didn't, my tricycle didn't quite fit in the uh, in the little alley, so I kept walking a few, few steps and banging back down with it, and it was making a terrible racket. And like five production members come running around the corner and scooped me up because they were filming, and uh, they introduced me to him when he got off the boat. So just to backtrack, your
1: name is Daniel and you were riding a tricycle, right? That's the start of The Shining.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that put a really creepy spin on my story. <laughs> 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 okay, so that was round two. And uh, Ethan, can we have our car tally, please?
3: Uh, we got Missy on nine and Anita on three.
2: That's, and that is not as bad as I did against uh, Eamon. Oh,
1: there you go. Oh my God, please beat me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now I'll have to study you and uh, design questions that you can't possibly answer next time. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) Round three. Our final round. So it'll be all over soon. Which is Can of Worms, questions about the DUP. And as always, I'll start with a which DU member's poetry introduction line says, Good or bad, it's scribed in ink. Experiences are my muse. I am a clusterfuck of emotions trying to find my way in a battle to be happy in my old age.
4: To so read them things. I don't know. Uh, Hang on. I'm going on to DUP now and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least I'm truthful about cheating.
2: It is Taryn. Oh,
4: she's not been on there for ages, oh, has she? She's back. Ah, see, I've noticed. Big up too.
2: No, when I look, she had been on like a day before. So shout out to Taryn, the talented lady (laughs) of the underground. Okay, question two. Who is the head director of the recently rebooted DU group, Cafe Critique? Shut your
8: mouth because she's mugging you left, right and
2: centre. That's Missy.
8: It is
1: the kilted giant, David McLeod.
2: (laughs) That is indeed David McLeod, a beloved Scotsman who was Missy's most recent victim on this very segment, consequently. (laughs) Shout out to you, my brother. All hands on kilts. It's windy. Okay, question three. This poet and musician has recently contributed some wonderful music to the podcast. It is rumored she has a phobia related to a common foot apparel.
4: Socks, Pearson. I don't know her name, though
2: that is correct we'll give that to anita to anita i didn't press my buzzer that's okay <laughs> that is socks scare me
1: that's Anna, much
2: much luck to you out there in the wide world
1: why do socks scare you please tell me why socks scare you because <laughs> i feel I this is so. a nugget of information that we need to know we need to get her on the podcast to sit her down and say look why
2: <laughs> put that under a bonnet for uh for an upcoming segment
1: She's just got a phobia that Dobby's going to come and attack her in the middle of the night.
2: Bonus <laughs> <laughs> point for the Harry Potter reference. <laughs> okay. We're up to question number four. How many poems are currently listed as published by DU author Asperger's poet? 56. I'll give you some multiple choices. And if it bears repeating ad infinitum one guess apiece, ladies, please. A 56 B 155. C five hundred and sixty or D six hundred
4: and sixty-six. Whatever. Anita. Um B. I'll go for the middle one. Oh,
2: it is not one hundred and fifty-five. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Missy, coming to the kill. because
1: she's mugging you left, right, and center. Is Missy, it the
2: first one. It is not fifty-six. Those are the letters at the end of his name. Oh. Well, numbers. It is actually uh-huh. C five hundred and sixty. Anita, you only get one guess. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I just like <played. laughs> <I'm,
4: laughs> I pressed that by accident. Sorry.
2: That's okay. It was actually rather appropriate. It's quite sassy. I quite liked it. <laughs> as of the date of this segment's crafting, it is C560. Mary, shout out to you as well. Okay. On to question five. It was recently stipulated in the rules of conduct on the DU that a person must openly declare and state on their profile if they have any of these. Whatever. That's Anita.
4: Other profiles. Alternate
2: accounts. That is Alternate correct. Alternate accounts. That's the one. More colloquially known as alts. Well done. Ethan, I believe our scores is Anita 10, <coughs> Missy 5. <laughs>
3: Need a 5, Missy 10.
2: Ah. <laughs> uh, work with me, Ethan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I was too busy keeping count and reading the
2: questions. <laughs> I'm sorry, that they are very verbose.
3: Yeah, they are.
2: <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, that's the only speed I have. Okay, so uh, I guess it doesn't matter if Missy wins because either Ethan or Eamon has to host the next one. Okay.
4: I knew I wouldn't win.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, was <laughs> I was like it pl- good. <laughs> I was like, please, please, bitch, just win. <laughs> 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 uh,
4: I may have lost on purpose.
2: Okay, question six. Which do you members' poet introduction line says, I am half human, half words? Would you care to answer this one, Ethan?
3: It's actually me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awkward (laughs) dare you (laughs) this friendship is over (laughs) our twinship is over
2: (laughs) and that's the game let's just stop here
1: the podcast Project does not take any liability for any such friendships that
2: are destroyed in the recording process.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, God. This is indeed the sculptor of exquisite, minimalist poetry known as Boy Brains. I'd ask you to take a bow, Ethan, but we're doing modern radio and thusly blind as fucking bats. Okay. Question seven. Can you name one of the authors that Boy Brains has listed under his favorite poets and writer section?
8: Shut your mouth, because
2: she's mugging you left, right, and
8: center.
2: See? Me? <laughs> <laughs> Although not anymore. <laughs> That's a reasonable guess, I no. Anita, <laughs> throw, throw out somebody. You can do it.
4: I have no clue. I'm going to have a look now.
2: One of them was the answer to a question in the first round. <clears throat> Whatever. Socks scare me.
1: Oh, was this fe- round. Oh, is it <sighs> Famous what? Poets? Oh, famous right. You didn't
2: say that. Okay, let's let's swipe the board and let you guys have another guess. Fam- famous Right. God damn it. I know I one. Know one. I know one. I'm, love I'm love waiting love. for an <laughs>
0: eater.
2: Ethan, can you enlighten our guests? You could
3: Anne Sexton, Edgar Allan Poe, Union Wolf, Bronislaw Weiss, or Charlie Smith, or Oscar Wilde.
2: I I had no idea how to pronounce the one between Virginia Woolf and Charlie Smith, so I'm lucky you helped me on that one.
3: Bronnie Slower-wise? Yes. No one knows her because she's a Romany poet, that's why. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, check it out. I'd like to expand my horizons. Mm. When, I'm not lo- when I'm not looking at porn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> TMI, host. Thank God you said host. I thought you said host then. <laughs> Okay, let's move on and forget about that. Question number eight. Can you describe the profile picture of DU member Sweet Oblivion? Shut your mouth, because she's mugging you left, right, and center. That's missing.
1: Is it a chessboard?
2: It is a black and white chessboard with a pair of feet crossed upon it.
1: Oh, I knew they'd come up in my list somewhere.
2: <laughs> right on. Shout out to you, lady. And question nine. What title has DU member Lil Dragonfly been bequeathed in this stage of her DU journey? I like the way I said bequeathed. A. Strange creature. B. Fire of insight. C. Dangerous mind. Or D. Tyrant of words. Whatever. That's Anita.
4: Dangerous mind?
2: It is not dangerous mind. I'm sorry.
4: That was a random guess. Guess gash.
2: Random gash. That's my favorite thing.
4: Random guess
2: missy do you have a guess
1: um fire of insight
2: no that was my favorite title for obvious reasons it's a it's actually d tyrant of words Is it really? yes uh, she's published quite a bit okay question number 10 our final question how many medals have been earned by du author just him a 18 b 60 c 9 or d 23 It's Anita.
4: Twenty-three.
2: That is correct. Anita really? and you, and you really? win and that's the end. Goodbye.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was another guest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is twenty-three and a final shout out to just him, another of our talented friends on the DU. All right, Ethan, can you give us our final tally and declare our victor, please?
3: Uh, so we have Anita with six and Missy with eleven.
0: Wow.
2: <sighs> Just, it never fucking ends. It never
4: can, ends I, yeah. can I put my buzzer away now? <laughs> the battery's going on my phone, so it needs to go off.
2: The battery's going on Anita's phone, wink wink.
4: <laughs> I've had her in work all day, so no charge. <laughs>
2: Behave. Uh, Behave, all right. guys. All right. Uh, I guess we're done. And that's the game, ladies and gents. And the ladies shall be hoisted onto our shoulders as we make the rounds through the streets of victory. Simultaneously, the vanquished lady shall stand in lonesome silence upon a solitary street corner as the last vestiges of ticker tape spin in drunken pirouettes toward the ground. Such is, such is life, as the French say, and as we say in the colonies, them's the breaks. Oh, ladies and gents, it has been my distinct joy and honor to conduct the proceedings of this month's Risky Quizness for you, with Ethan at my side. Ethan, how's it been?
3: It's been fabulous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, ladies, I hope you had a good time.
1: Great. Always, always. And the best thing about it is that I get to to, to take part in this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry
0: yes. Missy. <laughs> I did try. <laughs>
1: Deep underground
5: poetry dot com Nighttime comes, and I must leave to fly away again. Into the real ethereal, into the colored flames of dancing visions. Back and forth, up and down they sway. Waking up while still asleep, I know I cannot stay. Focusing on, far away, the visions disappear. I'm with you, I feel your breath. We are very near to becoming sensitized to each other's minds. Every time I come to you by slipping out of time into the real, ethereal, into the colored flames, I must leave, must disappear, and fly away again.
1: And that was BC Poet There with their poem Coloured Flame, and you can check out more of his poetry on the DU. As usual, all poems mentioned in the show will be listed in the show notes. Coming up next, we sit down and talk to the wonderful Snugglebuck here next on the Poetcast project. The Reading List with Missy Demeanour. So, here we are again on the Poetcast project talking about your three proudest works, poems that you believe should be in people's reading lists. And today we are once again sailing our little boat over the pond to America to talk to another wonderful member of the site. Member since 3rd of February 2014 and author of 319 poems at the time of this interview is Snugglebuck, who is braving the airwaves to come and talk to us today. Kimmy! Thank you for joining us. And how are you doing today?
9: Well, I'm doing fine. It's a little cold here, but I'm safe inside my little home. It's very cozy. (laughs) But it's uh, 30 below zero outside. That's Fahrenheit. You know, we're a little bit, we're not as evolved as the rest of the Western world, so we're still stuck in the English system. No insult to the English, but, you know. (laughs)
1: And do you mind me asking uh, where in America you are, roughly? I live in the most
9: northern state of the continental United States. I live in Minnesota, mm-hmm. in the city of St. Paul. Uh, right in the same neighborhood is uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald grew up. And right in the same neighbor, I every now and then I run into his holy pope of Poetry, Garrison Keillor, he's here too. There's there's a big poetry community here. So Wonderful. I don't think too much of Garrison. I hope that did come through. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> So I guess my first question would be, um, where did the username Snugglebuck come from? Because it's quite unusual, isn't it?
9: That's a term of endearment an old girlfriend gave to me. She put <laughs> that handle on me, and when I first joined EU... I thought I'd use that that sounds you know provocative and later well so much for anonymity because I later would find out my old girlfriend knows how to read and (laughs) and she called me out on it so people know everyone knows that I do submit poems to deep underground poetry and it's okay it's fine with me (laughs)
1: So, what was going on in your life that started the search for Deep Underground Poetry?
9: It was February of 14. er, I was looking for a distraction. I was suffering from the rigors of, of chemo and radiation. Actually, at the time, it was radiation. And I was in pretty tough shape. And I was up all night and I just was crawling around. I've always been interested in poetry and came by this wonderful site and decided to participate.
1: So, uh, much like all of us, I think, who kind of found the place by accident, but a happy accident, we hope.
9: <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's a joy. <laughs> this is my social media. This is, I love this place and it's more than social media. It truly is, as far as any other poetry site, this is a true artist-shared site where you can get feedback, you can learn from others, you can help others. I absolutely love it.
1: Your profile describes the fact that you've worked a lot in the steel and the mechanics industry. Is this what you've always wanted to do?
9: Actually, when I was in high school... I fancied myself as becoming a Protestant clergyman. In fact, as I was going to, my dream was to be the first Protestant pope. I think it was just way out there. I don't know what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> but after a couple of years of college, I went to work in the steel mill to earn more money for more college. And to be honest, the money was so good at, at that time. That I couldn't really walk away, and I found out because, oh, because I uh, like beer and and love. I made a far better steel worker than I would a clergyman. So it was a good choice. It really was a good choice.
1: So if you had the choice um, to do whatever you really wanted to do in this life, what what would you really want to do with your time here?
9: Oh, geez, that's that's a little hard because sometimes <laughs> I wonder how much time I have left. Well, I'd love to return to the country. Till 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, I lived all my life in rural Wisconsin, and I yearn to return to the country very soon. Although all of all my families in the city, as soon as my two youngest nieces get a little older, I'm going back to the country, and I'm going to have... Have a little hobby farm.
1: So would you say that, um, that that's what makes you happy?
9: Well, the number one thing that makes me happy is my family.
1: Mm-hmm. My
9: two nieces are like, every morning I get up, I go and I take my two nieces to school. I'm the ride to school. Uh, one's eight, the other's 11. And they can be mean to me. They're very bossy. I call them my little mothers. (laughs) And, uh, but that is the simplest joys, the greatest joys are the joys we take for granted. And I have to tell you, they make my morning. I start, no matter how bad the rest of the day is, I started it out right. And it continues. So.
1: Well, good. (laughs) And, um, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, if I may because it's kind of why we're here I'm going I'm going to move on to your first poem which I believe is titled "Roho Rose Love Yeah
9: would you like me to read it to see
1: That would be wonderful We would love that
9: Roho rose love you cannot grow roses and not expect to bleed every lover of roses knows this Pain Sates their need. Ask any rose gardener. Blood meal is their feed. True love will also cause you pain. For some day one lover will die. And the other will remain. For love and roses are one and the same. Pain and suffering is part of the game.
1: I'm beautifully read there. I'm surprised you don't do more spoken word stuff on the site.
9: Oh, well, I always think I sound nasally. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I hate the sound of my voice.
1: So this poem was published by Lost Tower Publications in their anthology, The Poetry of Flowers, which is copyright 2016. Um, could you tell us what it was that inspired this poem? Losing somebody
9: you love. When you lose somebody you love, and not just the lover. It can be a friend. It can be a family member. When you lose them, you feel the pain. The pain is there along with the love. And it is, I think it, this is hard to explain. I think a little pain nourishes the soul to appreciate love, to appreciate those around us. Or when they're gone, we don't realize just how much we loved them until they have left us. And yeah, yes, we bleed. And it's also inspired, in fact, by uh, a rose gardener I met a long time ago. She tended roses in my neighborhood, and she was putting blood meal in. And uh, there is some scientific truth to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Roses do thrive on blood. Uh, it, it, it probably, if they have evolved, because animals, small animals would escape predators by hiding inside the thorny branches, and either the predator or them would get scratched or pricked, and a little bit of blood would go in the ground. So they have a little Venus flytrap in them. Yes, that's, that's true. And, uh, all roses do have thorns, don't they? All love does have some pain.
1: They do indeed. Now you've chosen a poem here that is, isn't available on the DEP, but has rather wonderfully been published in an anthology. How does it feel to have your work published and, and out there?
9: Well, great. Especially if you get paid. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't been paid that often. This one I wasn't paid for, but in fact it is. It's. It's... It, it, it does stroke my ego a little bit. I do suffer from humanity.
5: I am human
9: and uh, we poets strive to be honest so when I when I do get published, it does make me feel good. It just wow, I'm sort of that way for a little bit until my nieces are put me get me centered. You're really not that special you know <laughs> And I'm not. I always tell everybody it's something a little profound I've done in a very unprofound life.
1: So have you ever considered writing your own book in in terms of um, getting your work out there?
9: Just in about the last couple of years I've considered it. I did get an offer from a publisher uh, uh, to submit some poems. They were quite interested, and I did, but we really couldn't come to an agreement over usage rights. I was offered uh, 20% in royalties. I thought I was going to get non-exclusive rights, which means that you can keep your poem, it's yours, but then they started to hedge. And there's something about right now, at this point in my life, having one of my works held captive hostage by mm-hmm. some somebody else. So, yes, it's something I'd like to do, but it's not necessary. But, yes, of course, I think there's a little bit in all of this.
1: I suppose with with the publishing thing, it's about finding that balance. But you've also got um, in your first stanza, it says you cannot grow roses and not expect to bleed. Every lover of roses knows this. And it's quite the philosophical gem and alludes to the fact that there's no joy in life without some element of suffering. I mean, how do you keep the balance of joy and sadness in your life?
9: I've become very zen in my old age over Mm -hmm. happiness and unhappiness. its I actually wrote a little ditty quite a while. It got published too, and I can't, can't remember, but it's called Darkness and Light. You can't have darkness without the light. You can't have a morning without the night. You cannot have a void without the occupied. Darkness is akin to light more than you like. Dark is a yang, yin is a light. And somewhere between is your soul dwelling in the twilight. And you can't have, Missy, you can't have agony, or you can't have ecstasy without experiencing agony. You need that baseline for your realization that you've come to this place. And thus is
3: life.
1: And you've also got in here this line about pain and suffering are part of the game. Um, Now, I understand that you're recovering from cancer treatment at the moment. Would it be okay if you could share with us a little bit about your journey so far, if you go? Oh,
9: okay, Ab- absolutely. It's been quite a journey too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't get too long-winded here. I've been known to be that way, you know. <laughs> okay, I was coming home in 2013, and I found my neighbor lady passed out. Well, actually, I thought she had died. And I (laughs) thought she was dead. (laughs) And it turns out she was drunk as a skunk in the middle of the afternoon and I carried her fireman's carriage into her apartment. If you knew the relationship I had with her daughters and her son, this was totally acceptable. I sort of watched out for her. And after carrying her in, I felt quite robust at the moment. I passed out. And I thought I had a heart attack. As it turned out, I had a tumor around my heart. A couple days later, I'm in the University of Minnesota Hospital. They find this tumor around my heart. So, for two weeks, I had to stabilize me, most of it intensive care, in order to get me to a place if I could even take chemotherapy. It wasn't even, they basically gave me a choice and they said it was maybe about a 30 40% chance that I would go into remission, as it turned out I did. But it wasn't just the, I was actually in the hospital for 14 days because I was so on the edge edge of my grave, looking down in, that they had to stabilize me, keep me stable, and then they had to start chemo there. And I was in a cancer ward, and this is a major hospital here in the United States, and it wasn't my suffering. It was the suffering of so many people around me. But we were divided between those of us who had different flavors of cancer, and then there was an entire wing for those young women suffering from breast cancer. And I got to know a lot of them, Missy. Hmm. And I can tell you that if I died tomorrow, I have lived a good life, and I have lived a full life. It's seeing those young adults that are just starting out, that are battling this horrible disease, this horrible modern plague of the 21st century. And yes, it was a life-changing experience. All my priorities were changed in a matter of weeks.
1: I sometimes find it hard to kind of... Relate. I I suppose in England we have this. um, We have a healthcare system in England, and I know that that's something that in America you guys don't have. So I'm always interested to know what the experience is in another country that doesn't have that kind of um, system in place. Is it? Is it hard?
9: Oh my God, kid! It's a nightmare. (laughs) It is a bureaucratic nightmare. The first thing you do whenever you go into a hospital is they give you the third degree over what sort of insurance you have and what you're, you, you sign forms after forms. And here's the thing here in the United States, I have good insurance. I have pretty good insurance, but I also had a nest egg. With cancer I tell everyone if you don't think we need to reform our health care system here in the States then whatever you do don't get cancer <laughs> because though I'm not broke that nest egg I had was all but wiped up wow. every time you walk into a doctor even with the insurance and every year the bleeding gets worse every year it gets worse I have to pay a copay of $40, and then afterwards, I'll get a bill, another bill of about another $30, 40 Now, that doesn't sound, you know, people think, oh, that is, well, if you're somebody that has an illness where you have to see the doctor three, four times a month, it can be devastating.
0: Mm.
9: Yes, and it's sad. It's very sad. But you know, we Americans, we know how to do everything better than the rest of the world. And we have nothing to learn from anyone else. You know, we won World War II all by ourselves. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that, but there's a lot of people over here that will tell you that. Oh, boy. Then don't get me going on. Well, <laughs> we better skip the annoying orange that we have heard. Okay.
1: Well, um. I think i'll move away from that (laughs) so thank you for um for sharing that with us and if it's okay i'm going to move on to your second poem which is titled marodia paranoia so would you like me to read this one for you
9: yes i would
1: marodia paranoia inspired by kafka's metamorphosis like lucifer's fall from grace i dropped from the human race Erotic, paranoid, schizoaffective with addiction. Into the dark I retreated with my mental affliction. Dilapidating in desperation, I prowl and sneak. Nearsightedly on hands and knees I rummage, slink and creep. Scavenging the sewers, gutters, dumpsters, clutter and alleys of garbage and sewage for digestible grubbery. Filthy, frizzled, frazzled, mangy hair Crawling with lice and fleas My surviving mustard-coloured teeth Decay with disease Like tusks over my withered lips Only a few remain My dirty, untrimmed fingernails Are yellow and frayed I'm harmless, yet people are startled at my sight So I prowl in the lonely shadows of the night My humanity is slowly disintegrating Tweaking, ticking, twitching, scratching, shivering. Body constantly moving in psychomotor agitation. Chemical mortification of the flesh in declination. Some dumpsters are better than others. Some swill and garbage has more to offer. My inflamed olfactory detects odorance of molding, leading me to a steel cornucopia of bakery leavings where I feast on musty maggot-infested sweetbreads. With such abandon, I'm oblivious to the iron jaws of death. Hey, Jack! Jack, come here quick! Look at the huge rat I caught in my trap. Thank you for reading that. Thank you. I I nearly couldn't. Yeah, That's a tongue twister, that one. Now, this is another poem that is not published on the DU and is published by Hellbound Books, anthology, Beautiful Tragedies. And it is, if I may say, a very vulnerable write. Are you able to tell us a little about what it was that inspired this poem?
9: Well, Kaka's metamorphosis, like I said, it is inspired in part by the fact that Kaka talks about how he's feeling dehumanized And he's slowly turning into a beetle, if a memory serves me right. But so many of those metaphors that are in that poem actually did happen. I would prowl around at night because I suffer terribly from insomnia, and especially at that time. I looked horrible. Not a hair on my face or my body. I was skin and bones. I, uh, one of the side effects or one, one of the things that all k- people who are battling cancer experience is that sensitivity, a heightened sensitivity to the material they're wearing, clothing. <clears throat> you want to get in sweats. You want to get in pajamas. You, want, you don't want the chafing of jeans or anything like that. So I'd be out on my bicycle in the city of St. Paul, 2 3 a.m. in the morning, looking like all hell, and those unfortunate souls that encountered me sometimes would be frightened, visibly frightened. And yes, I felt also too, I'm on big time painkillers. I'm on oxycoding and oxycotton. At very heavy doses mm. so uh, also at that time in my life and even in, in retrospect I connect with the addict although I've never been an addict I connect with those people or maybe before cancer I never stood I was often standing the judgment of them no I never do I I understand their demons and at night, where, we're, actually we always seem to be somewhere when I did catch some sleep, uh, people who take painkillers, opiates, will tell you they can have nightmares. And I'd have nightmares and often, there would be rats in my nightmares.
6: Because I'm
9: definitely afraid of rats.
0: Mm-hmm.
9: And I felt like I was turning into a rat. And my teeth did go. And I did look terrible. And by the way, when I say my teeth went, the cancer had went from my, from around my heart up into my neck, and that's when I had to have radiation. And radiation was actually, you know, I endured chemo quite well. And I want any. By the way, before I go on to any more horror stories, any of you out there that suffer from cancer, don't be afraid of these horror stories like mine. Yes, there is suffering, but there is joy in living. And there's also joy in the fight that you're fighting this disease. This is the devil that's inside of you. And every one of us that takes on this battle improves it for the next person that faces it. But I, they did radiation. It was up into my neck, so they had to do radiation on my jaw and my neck. And just like a meth addict loses their teeth, all of my teeth began falling up. I felt no pain on them. They just crack, I'd be eating a little something and one would fall out, like in a movie or something. And as it turned out, I, even though I brushed and flossed every day, <laughs> I've got dentures. <laughs> but you know what? My vanity, my vanity suffers, but I'm alive. So how dare I bitch, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I mean, this poem seems very much to be a piece that allows you to identify with some of society's outcasts. I mean, do you feel yourself to be a bit of an outcast? Um, or is, is there a joy for you in, in not fitting in?
9: Well, I have to tell you, Missy, uh, we're poets. And you're a very good poet, too. And here's the thing to realize. All of us poets are a little bit... We marched to a different drummer. We march to a different drum that plays a different beat. And so, no ma- even when I'm among friends, I hear the music a little bit differently than they do. And so, yes, I am. And that's okay. That's okay. And also, may I say, poetry is an exercise in honesty, particularly with our self honesty honesty with ourself excuse me be rearranged honesty with ourself and in this in this present state where it's hip to be a hypocrite, people you stand out. you really stand up. And you know Mark Twain said it best. I try to be honest. I try to be honest. That way I can I confound my friends and I confuse my enemies and right now I confound a hell of a lot of people Missy. you know I mean they say you wrote that you're I did know because I've actually in real time I've been a very shy kind of not real shy but kind of a quiet shy guy that doesn't always you know, let it all out, but I let it all out in words.
1: Do you think that poets have a harder time relaxing because their mind is always just going from one thing to another?
9: Within every artist, especially poets, wells and never sleeps. And if that beast is always restless and even in our most not even in our nocturnal sleep, it's constantly searching, hunting for meaning. Something, yes, yes, yeah.
1: Do you know, I, I wonder if I'm made of some sort of different poetic stuff because you can never get me out of bed. Like, I, I just <laughs> I'm asleep all the time, it's ridiculous. Oh dear. <laughs> Um, so in the midst of all of this, how do you stay hopeful in these times?
9: Well, oh gee whiz. You could, that's probably the hardest question here that you've asked me. <laughs> I got to tell you, kid, I got to tell you, I find myself every day I pray to the next election next election cycle, (laughs) because I'm hoping, I'm hoping uh, the next election cycle will bring a more positive change. Now, I know that sounds silly and stuff, but this is beyond where this, the current state of the United States is beyond anything that I've ever experienced in my life. It isn't about conservatives versus liberals or Democrats versus Republicans. Uh, I've come to the conclusion it's all about good versus evil. I mean we are sliding in a place and becoming divided like we've never become divided in my lifetime. And it's the issues today that we are seeing have become an issue between lifetime friends of mine. I mean I grew up in a rural setting. I went worked in a steel mill, very conservative places, and I just cannot agree to disagree anymore. So I mean, it's terrible what's happening. So it is what it is, and it's. I think about it every day. I think about politics. Well, I probably maybe thought about it once a week. You know, it's 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 transcended into our daily lives, our our uh, work. In our workplaces, our our places of faith, or whatever. I mean I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is a Republican and Trump is his anointed one. He's been (laughs) anointed. Now I have trouble with that as I pointed out to a conservative friend of mine. If he's the anointed one, I bet you you could get anywhere near his head with a bottle of olive oil. Because I bet you he just, you know, on that do of his, God Almighty, what would happen if he did get anointed? But I digress. <laughs> I'm sorry. I ran.
1: <laughs> we, love, we love a good run here. It's fine. Um, well, thank you very much for sharing that. Now, we are two-thirds of the way through the interview, can you believe? And I like to take a little time from the serious stuff to lighten the mood and ask how you're doing doing okay? Can we get you anything? Oh, me? Yeah.
9: (laughs) I'm doing fine kid. I'm doing fine.
1: So I thought it would be fun to really get to know the person behind the writing. Um, If we play the little word association, which is something I've been trying out in a few interviews lately with um, varying results. (laughs) So if it's okay, I'm going to give you 10 words and then just say the first thing that you think of. Like, just don't overthink it. Just say the first thing that you think of. So your first word is outside. Cold. humble.
9: Oh, can it be more than one word?
1: Oh, why not, let's bend the rules.
9: A rare virtue.
1: (laughs) Creativity.
9: Infinity. Love, hunger, regret, love,
1: <laughs> vacation,
9: Great Britain, Ooh.
1: webmistress, love, <laughs>
9: <laughs> oh, don't scare, don't scare, <laughs> no, helpful, let's change that to helpful,
1: help, okay rain snow happiness children and the last one Snugglebuck.
9: disgusting <laughs> disgusting <laughs> I don't know you kid on that one you got me
1: <laughs> what a review disgusting there we go
9: <laughs> you better maybe my old girlfriend could have answered that better you know <laughs>
8: We should bring
1: her on the show.
9: (laughs) I think her opinion may have changed, you know.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, on from that, (laughs) I'm going to move on, if I may, to your last poem titled My Summer of 74.
9: The Summer of 74. I have seen many sweet summer turn to fall, but the most beautiful summer of them all was a precious summer of 74. When upon a midnight summer's dream, just a day before I turned 18, I kissed a woman that I adored. Upon a blanket beneath a moonless sky, we'd watch shooting stars fall from on high, wishing upon each that we'd see one more. Farm kids schooled in a rural hamlet, a quaint little village called Somerset. We were innocent. Naive to the core. Instilled with wonder, we were enchanted. Filled with love, we were ecstatic. Enraptured and euphoric. Other summers have come and gone. Some were short, others were long. Yet, none were like the summer of 74. The summer I came to believe in magic and have always, and will keep believing forevermore.
1: I just love that poem. I thought it was beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And it's definitely the most optimistic of the three that you've shared with us today. Can you tell us what it was uh, that inspired this poem?
9: It's pretty straightforward. (laughs) My first love on a summer night. And it was a young lady that I had known nearly most of my life. I My experience growing up was much differently in Somerset, Wisconsin, much differently than most. Oh, gosh. In my class of students, I believe there were only 43 of us. We were a very small little tight-knit group. Uh, it was a very small town. fact is, it was so small, Missy, that... When people would come, a bus would drive through, the front end of the bus would be outside the town before the back end of the bus got into town. I mean, it was small, and uh, and it was very rural, very, but it was also a very magical place. It was right on the border between Minnesota and Wisconsin near the beautiful St. Croix River, very hilly uh, farm country. Yes, it was a kind of magical place and a very magical time.
1: What do you think it is about the summer that makes it so memorable for people? Like, Why, why don't we write about winter, for example, in the same way?
9: Because there's more life all around us. There's life mm-hmm. growing around us. There is a serenade. Of There is a serenade, uh, orchestra, frogs. Uh, a coyote in the distance a fox's little yelp it just it's beautiful it we're in winter winter sleeps the earth sleeps during the winter yes you're still life she groans she turns but summer and it brings out the beauty and summer you can actually lay on the spot when you're living in Minnesota. You can lay outside and look on the stars. If you laid out tonight outside to look at the stars, they'd find your frozen bodies the next morning. <laughs>
1: so um, I actually got largely confused reading this poem because there's a county here in England called Somerset, uh, which I lived in for a time, which is a bit of a coincidence. Um which is also rural, so it brought back quite nice memories for me. Uh, did you enjoy rural living?
9: Oh, I, like I said before, Missy, I yearn to return to the country. If only <laughs> I could convince my family to move there with me. Uh, I, I, miss, I miss connecting with nature. Uh, every morning I used to get up and watch the deer in my yard. My, my front yard would be filled with deer. I had a bird feeder. The wild turkeys would come to visit. And just before, when I was sold my house, i had already sold it, and I was supposed to close on it on a Friday. The Thursday morning before closing, I looked out to see a bear digging up my tulips to beat the band and eating them, really enjoying himself. And I said, did you just make the right decision? Isn't this where you belong? And I also miss farming. I always did a little part-time farming. I always had a few goats or sheep or a few things like that. And yes, and, and you know, Missy, our experience, the sum, we are the sum total of our experiences. And my experience was nature, and I miss it greatly. So yes, I. It was, and I had a very enchanted childhood, truly did, to grow up on a farm.
1: Oh, it sounds beautiful. I mean, how do you carry that sense of wonder into your life now?
9: Well, sometimes it's not easy, Missy. I'll tell you that. Sometimes when I need to rekindle that, or I always suggest to people, because we live in such cynical times, we're cynical over uh, spiritual man and I'm not talking religion. We're cynical over spiritual matters. We're cynical over um, the future. I always tell everybody to go out and look up at the sky at night. And look and focus on a single star and consider the source of light. And you realize it's, uh, there are a lot of mysteries that shine in the night.
0: Mm-hmm.
9: There is more that we don't know than we do, and in that I find ecstasy. Knowing that there are things out there that we don't even understand, in our place in the universe, we don't feel insignificant. Feels very significant in the moment because you're looking what you're looking up at. They're looking down at you. All the stars are staring down at you. And isn't life beautiful?
1: Do you think that love is the answer to all of life's problems?
9: Well, it isn't the answer to all of our problems, I guess. I would like to think it is. I've always was taught to, to love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And... That would make everything good, but I've gotten quite, oh, sometimes I wonder, sometimes. But I do know this, that when we go, when I go, the one possession that I'm going to hang on dearly when I cross over to the other side that I won't want to let go of are those that I love. Love is my answer to my daily happiness. And all those other things that we can accomplish, yes, we all need those lofty goals. We all need that motivation. But what is anything that we could gain worth losing? The love of those that love us. It's nothing. It's meaningless. So yes, I I think the love is the answer to happiness. But not to all the world's problems. Sometimes I think a few people out there, even those that I love, need a good punch in the nose. You know.
1: <laughs> I can share that sentiment entirely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And may I say how privileged we are on the Poet cast project to talk to such a prolific and whimsical writer on deep underground poetry. Before you go, do you have any recommendations on who we should read?
9: Oh, well, on that, are I- you? Well, there are so many good poets in deep underground poetry, but besides those, I would have to say if I was my favorite poet, poet of all time it is Felix Dennis. Uh, he's from Britain, you know, there's something about you British people I don't like. Can I tell you this, Missy? <laughs> of course you can. You're, you're one group of people that's actually a lot smarter than Americans, you know, and it makes me jealous. No, I kid. Felix, no, I don't kid. You are smarter than us. Felix <laughs> Dennis was a wonderful poet. At the time I was battling cancer, so was he. Uh, 60 Minutes did a wonderful interview with him. I love of all his poems, Snake Skin Boots. He he just had it. Uh, I, I loved him. I also as far as classical poets, uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, but Henry Longfellow, Poe's nemesis, Edgar Allan Poe's great nemesis. I don't, sometime I'm going to make a little challenge or something on this to get people interested in the consternation between these two poets that took place. There was a battle of poets at the time, but I also like. Po himself, that was a good time for poetry. That was a good time for poetry, right? I think that would be the 1850s, right there. Yeah, and uh, Longfellow is simple. A lot of people, of course, according to Poe, he was who is more complex and introspective. And of course, I for, for anybody that's not familiar with Longfellow, he wrote uh, the Song of Hiawatha, by the shores of Gitchigumi, by the bright light of Nakomis. You know what's funny? He got to meet the great, he got invited to the court, the English court, to meet the queen, and he was all oh, he was he was just ecstatic to meet her, and he didn't know what to say, and she said. She said, sir, all my servants love your poetry greatly. (laughs) And Henry went, wait a minute, this is an insult. Damn the Queen, you know. (laughs) He got a little angry there, but yes, he, he was a very good poet. Paul was, yes.
1: And do you have any favorites on deep underground poetry at all?
9: You know, Missy, I like. The, let's. I'm going to concentrate on the younger poets. There are a <laughs> lot of, of poets like, you know, I love Jade's work. I love um, Wally Rue's work. A lot. He's got a sense of humor, but like me, his sense of humor sometimes gets him in trouble. <laughs> you know, uh, people take him too seriously. And, uh, but I like some of the younger poets now coming in. I think there's a gentleman, young gentleman by the name of Stoney. There are a couple others that I'm trying to think of right off, but, uh, edible words. Uh, let's see. Oh, give me one second. No, can't think of any more right off, but. (laughs) You know, I think it can be intimidating for our newer poets. I should say younger, because some of them are mature. But for the new poets to come into deep underground poetry, I think it can be a little intimidating to see, you know, there are some people that are have have made their craft. They really have done a good job, but it's taken that experience. So I encourage the younger poets not to see the competitions. I encourage them to enter the competitions, but not to see them as, this is the best poet. No, you're having fun. You're learning to define your craft. You're learning what works and doesn't work. Don't worry about it, you know. So,
1: some good advice there i think so any final thoughts for us before we leave well yes yes
9: you know we are in the holiday season of valentine's day so remember this sometimes love walks on four legs. your cat your dog your pet maybe it's not you don't have one maybe it belongs to a neighbor but don't be afraid to give them a hug And show them a little love, too.
1: Well, that's beautiful. And much appreciated, I should think. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking to us today.
9: Well, what an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you (laughs) so much, Missy. Can you stay warm over there?
1: Oh, I intend to. Blankets and hot chocolate. That's what this weather's for.
9: Oh, yes. Blankets and hot chocolate. But don't be afraid to put a little rum in that hot chocolate. That'll really make it a
1: kid. Oh, I will. Spotlight with Daniel Christensen
2: So, here we are. You and I and everyone, by the by, that has tuned in for this PoetCast. It is my distinct honor, and it is no secret that it is my pleasure to be bringing you a Spotlight on Poetry once again. In art, man reveals himself, and not his objects. Rabindranath Tagore tells us, This is a truth I keep close to my heart. Today I have applied it to the poetic works of Cold Fusion. Pouring over his published works, trying to quiet myself for a moment, and listen to his heart. My impressions of the man through his poetry he writes a fair amount about friends he cares for and admires. This, to me, speaks well of him. Of a mind not all concentred in self, but in appreciative awe of others. It has occurred to me on occasion that, of our myriad purposes for moving through this linear existence, one of these must be the perspective to gaze upon each other. Time, time, to witness change, time to consider, time to cherish, time to mourn, time to honor, distance to cast a shadow across, to reach across. There is a resonant candor to his works, a resonant heart, not one to belabor a subject, There is admirable brevity in his works, and I hope you will enjoy what Cold Fusion and I have to offer you. So I'm going to read to you a poem titled Fairy Meadow by Cold Fusion. Charms. She's a keeper, hidden in plain sight, of treasures invaluable and beyond measure. She captures time, makes it grow amongst the misty mountains. She, the keeper of gems, promises, and life. There is calm at her place, for she keeps it that way. And no one sees the seas. Just behind the hills. The brewing storms and the tumult she keeps at bay. Every single day. Some see flowers. Some just seashells. Little do they know the charms hidden on show. At the fairy meadow. So there is an obvious lilt to the construction of this beautiful work, a charming rendering, this portrait of a charming lady. Consider the piece as a whole, the way the poet paints her in earthy metaphor, hinting at her depths, the underground seas which few glimpse. It is the essence of the quintessential poet to watch, to listen, to be a spelunker of depths, to be a dowser of truths, which lie beneath the surface. His opening stanza, She's a Keeper, hidden in plain sight. This is a terrific technique. To call her a keeper, it has an immediate nuance of connotations. There is admiration, a sense of intimate connection, a playfulness, and establishes an immediate rapport with the reader. You can almost see cold fusion leaning across on an elbow to you, perhaps sitting across a steaming cuppa, about to reveal some insight, which holds his personal truth. Intriguing the reader from the opening stanza is something important. Give a little something, peel back the curtain just a bit, inspire the desire to know more. Second stanza, Of Treasures Invaluable and beyond measure. Nice syllabic harmony here. Good use of economy. Connoting her depths with a precise metaphor. She captures time, makes it grow, amongst the misty mountains. Consider all the meanings this could hold. Perhaps to the author she is a time marker, a keeper of some sacred memory, that her visage, her image, her presence holds. Perhaps she is representative of inner beauty that shines ever outward, that is not subject to the ravages of time. Perhaps she is somehow timeless. She cannot be placed in the context of the zeitgeist or of ages gone by, Or there are bits and pieces of bygone errors in her demeanor, in her idiosyncrasies. Something about her that denies time's passage its water stilled in her cupped palms, that she makes it grow, somewhere high up in the mists, speaks to her magic, her mystery. She is perhaps a nurturer of the passage of time. Perhaps she is of such presence and awareness that the poet imagines her tending to the roots of the mountain as they inch with impossible torpidity toward the heavens. She, the keeper of gems, promises, and life, The poet weaves with subtle fingers the glamours that wink and twinkle about this lady of his affection. What gems might she hold? Pearls of wisdom, perhaps? She, a keeper of promises. Perhaps this speaks to the depth of her character. She, a keeper of life itself. I imagine her as a radiant spirit. A source. A wellspring from which the sacred rivers of life flows in perpetuity. It seems to me the author is gazing deeply to the formless that lies beneath all form, to the spirit that animates all matter. I am tempted to veer into my love of Tolkien a bit, the keeper of the secret fire, especially with the mention of Misty Mountains, but I'll leave it there. Following stanza. There is calm at her place, for she keeps it that way. Again, the poet continues this portrait of her as a keeper of many sacred things. She is a light, a beacon, which holds the howling darkness at bay. There is serene power about this lady he paints, with a poet's subtle quill, drawing in shades about her, drawing a halo about her, without revealing more. She is a Zen presence, Of silent awareness. Of the peace of wisdom. And its solemn charge. The final stanzas. And no one sees the seas just behind the hills. The brewing storms and the tumult she keeps at bay. Every single day. Some see flowers. Some just seashells. Little do they know the charms hidden on show. At the fairy meadow. And, save for last, perhaps the greatest of her gifts, is how she holds fast against circumstance, how she stays her course through each day. The author closes with this sense of others not seeing the forest for the trees, as it were. Some see flowers, but not the meadow. Some see just seashells, and not those hidden oceans. Her charms lay beneath surfaces for only those of depth to resonate with. What is art? It is the response of man's creative soul to the call of the real, Rabindranath Tagore tells us. And isn't it just so, my dear listener? Has not the poet captured so much of what is real about the lady in this beautiful poetry that is perhaps lost on others, as those about her rush through their daily lives, failing to pause and appreciate her, as Cold Fusion has. Can there be a greater gift than to truly see someone? I think that is what we are all writing for, to be truly seen and understood. Perhaps the poet has given us a treasure of true worth. I'll leave you with that to consider, and I hope you will be inspired to read the poetry of Cold Fusion for yourself. And discover what depths are there. And what speaks to you. Until next time. Inkwell. Deep Underground Poetry. Dot com. And now our revels have ended and the sleepy lid of the final curtain is drawing inexorably toward the stage. It is my perpetual hope that we'll meet again some sunny day, dear listener. Adieu, adieu, and much adieu. Until next time.
3: And I would just like to thank Magdalena for coming on and taking part in Risky Quizness today. And many congratulations to Missy Demina, our still, still our reigning champion. Who knows when that crown is going to come off her head.
1: (laughs) I think it's actually fixed to my head now.
2: We'll have to take her head off to get the crown off.
1: Off with her head. (laughs) So... Back in February, we ran the competition St. Patrick's Day, which was asking you to write a poem about the day in question. And we got a wide range of responses dripping in green leprechauns and Guinness. The winner of the competition was Me Devil with their wonderful poem A Leprechaun, which will be closing the show today. Stay tuned for next month's competition, which will be announced shortly. Until then, good luck and Godspeed for National Poetry Writing Month, and we'll see you in April. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye.
6: For drink, quipped an elfish man, a story of an emerald land. There be a tale of moonlit night where I bestowed quite a sight. Stirred restless from the stolen dreams, drifted music from a place unseen. All around was a beat, from a chorus of sounds and a rhythmic beat. Not covered in dress I went as born, out before the early morn, where those of only nature dwell, far from the place I know so well. Closer I came, the moon, it grew, my soul possessed, its will withdrew, Well hid behind the fallen tree, beheld a soul fleshed fantasy, she flowed graceful in bareful step, her mane wild and freely swung and kept. A mist of smoke made up her gown, caressing as she spun around. Soft parted lips sang to her dance, I gazed upon in longing trance. Into the night the music played, and with it softly her body swayed. Through the woods stabbed golden rays, beacons of the dawning day. Vanishing from her stage of moss, my heart wept at the sudden loss. Was it fairy nymph or woodland elf? Return I begged to myself. To lad and lass I say to you My every word I tell be true Purchase another mug of beer And a pot of gold ye will next hear